0: Our reading is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and can be found on page 1004 of the Church Bibles. The Calling of Levi. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, Nellie, thank you for reading that for us. As Dan said, we um, continue our series this evening looking at aspects of our vision here at uh, St. Andrews. And this evening we come uh, to uh, transforming communities. Why would we be a church that is um, interested in transforming communities? And the answer, in part, I think, or fun- but fundamentally the answer, is because God's agenda for our world is transformation. God's agenda for our world is transformation and renewal. Jesus uh, began his public ministry by declaring his um, mission statement and you'll find it if you flick across back to uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Um, Here is Jesus introducing his ministry uh, to the world. He says, the time has come The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So the mission of Jesus, we discover, right at the start of his ministry, is to establish and to extend God's kingdom, God's new world order, if you like, till the ends of the earth. And as we watch Jesus um, in the rest of the Gospels, as we uh, read about him, as we see what he says, what he thinks, what he does, what he prays, we learn more and more about this kingdom. It is a kingdom we discover of light uh, in the place of darkness. It is a kingdom of truth uh, in the place of lies. It is a kingdom of uh, self giving uh, in the place of um, self serving. It is a kingdom of humility. Instead of uh, haughty arrogance, it's a place of freedom in its broadest sense, instead of slavery in its broadest sense. It is a place of generosity as opposed to avarice. It's a place of justice uh, as opposed to oppression. Uh, It's a place of repentance as opposed to to self righteousness it's a a place of liberating worship of god rather than the soul destroying worship of created things in summary it is a place of life instead of death it's a kingdom that we glimpsed in the garden of eden uh, but lost a long time ago, and if you 've been with us uh, at the six oclock at evenings we 've been looking at um, various gardens in the Bible. We started with Eden. It was a theme that ran through that series um, and if you 're with us, you 'll know therefore a little bit more about how the kingdom is modeled by the Garden of Eden, this place built by God, created by God for us and his, uh, um, for us and for the world. God's people in God's place under his rule. Lost because of the first sin of Adam and Eve. And Jesus, right at the start of his ministry, says, well, I've come to restore what was lost. I've come to restore this kingdom that was glimpsed, enjoyed for a short time by Adam and Eve, but lost. I've come to restore it. And more than that, I've come to invite you into it. I've come to uh, invite people back into a relationship with God and back into membership of his kingdom. And the question is, well, how? How is that going to happen? And the answer surprised many people then. It still surprises many people uh, today. He says the way you enter this kingdom, the way you receive this kingdom, is by repenting and believing. Or, as he puts it to Levi in the reading we just had from Nelly, follow me. Follow me that's essentially the same idea. Turn away from the life you have been living, turn towards and follow me. So the first thing we have to say as we look at these chapters in Mark is that Jesus doesn't come fundamentally as a life coach, he comes as a life giver. The invitation that he gave to people was not to resolve to do better. It wasn't to resolve to be better. Fundamentally, his invitation, the way the kingdom is established, the way the kingdom grows, the way one joins the kingdom and participates in the kingdom and grows in the kingdom and extends the kingdom is via repentance and faith. That is to repent of resisting God and of exalting self. That, of course, is the recipe that got the world into the mess that it's in. Rather, turn around, says Jesus, receive me, follow me, and with me receive new life. In this kingdom I am establishing. This new life that I offer and the way of living that comes with it and the way of living that expresses it. And the reason that God's transformation of us and renewal of us and membership of his kingdom and the reestablishment of a relationship with God uh, comes through repentance and through faith is because, as Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day in Mark chapter 2, the world is deeply and profoundly sick. You see, what we need, Jesus says, verse 17 of chapter 2, is healing fundamentally. Fundamentally. We don't need a moral example. Or at least, we don't just need a moral example. Jesus, of course, is a moral example. He is the perfect model of life in the kingdom. But we need more than just a moral example. Uh, We need more than just religious instruction and then told, there it is, get on with it. What we need is healing. You can't cure a dying man by simply showing them what a healthy man looks like and saying, well, look, look you know, just try to look like that. What you need to do is you need to cure them. Jesus says, I am the cure. I have come to bring new life, a new way of living that is characteristic of being a part of God's kingdom. So repent, receive me and the life that I bring. But of course as members of God's new kingdom as followers of Jesus as people filled with his spirit we should naturally begin to embody something of the characteristics of this kingdom embrace and embody its values as opposed to the values of the world its characteristics as opposed to the characteristics or some of the characteristics of our world. And we're to do that in the communities that surround us, that God has placed us in. We're not just to be passive recipients of God's kingdom, we're to be active participants in it, or to change the metaphor a little bit, as Paul will do in his letter to the Corinthians, we're to be ambassadors of this kingdom of which Christ has made us a part. What does that all mean for us as a church? It means that we are committed to be a church that seeks to be increasingly transformed by Jesus Christ, and a church that is seeking to learn and to live in our communities the ways of God's kingdom. And knowing that the ways of God's kingdom are good, we're a church committed to living out and expressing its good, God-given values wisdom ways of living in our communities and as we do that we'll bless them we'll be a blessing to our communities we'll change people's lives in positive ways because they will be interacting with people who are themselves seeking to be shaped by God and God's good transforming word We will in some ways improve the lives of those around us who are in many ways being ground down by the ways of the world as they interact with us, a people who by God's grace are beginning to embody and express something God-given, God-shaped, and therefore good. And many of us will be doing that in all sorts of ways. We'll be doing that in the way that we embody Christian uh, values and wisdom at work, in the way that we do that um, at home, at school, uh, in all the various aspects of our life. Some of us will be doing it uh, in volunteering in particular uh, ways. Some of us will be doing it by being plugged into and particular structures or particular ministries and uh, I wanted to give a couple of examples of that and very kindly Richard and Diane Bayfield have agreed to say a little bit something about what they're involved in in terms of blessing the community and modeling something of uh, God's kingdom uh, in our um, uh, community here in Oxford. Um, Diane and Richard have been members of our church family for um, many years and they'll be known to many of us if not um, yet all of us. But, uh, Diane and Richard, thank you for, for, for coming up. And I wanted to... We'll start, Diane, with you. Just, um, first of all, say a little bit about what, what it is that you're involved in and how you came to be involved in it.
2: Um, I've been involved with the Emmaus community in Oxford for a long time, probably 15 years, um, sort of raising money and being a trustee and just a, a supporter, going into the community, talking with the companions, as we call them, a holistic community where the strapline when I joined was to give people a bed and a reason to get out of it, because there's also a work aspect to Emmaus. Mm. And, I was and supposed- just tell
1: us those who don't know what Emmaus is. Um, just tell us a little bit about what Emmaus actually is.
2: Um, there's a community of 28 homeless people at the top of the Cowley Road. Um, they're all ex- they're all ex homeless people. They sign off benefits, join the community and then um, they have a structure to their day, um, supportive workers, and they work in the stores, which generates money to keep the community going. So um, donations are need- were needed at the beginning, but there comes a point when it becomes um, self-financing. Not quite there yet,
1: but... <laughs> <laughs> On the way.
2: Um, and-, and I was a trustee for 10 years and then um, stepped down and started to think what should I do next and lots of Bible verses about prisoners and captives were going through my head and I was asked to go into Bullington Prison and I now volunteer on a restorative justice course there.
1: Wonderful. And um, Richard, are you going to say a little something about Bullington? I, I Or is that you? To... To... Oh, okay, go on, Dad, yeah. tell us a little bit about <laughs> Bullington and, and the work there and the work of the uh, Um
2: So... We work with offenders um, in small groups, um, 20 on a course running for six Wednesday mornings, and we're looking at uh, exploring the effects of, cri- of their crime and especially looking at um, what has happened to the victims of their crime um, and the community. And then we talk to them and discuss with them about taking responsibility for their crimes and... Um, uh, you know, and their, their own personal actions.
1: Mm. And if you've got um, a story, a little story or two, you could tell us about how, yeah, just modelling something of Christian wisdom and virtues has made a difference to people um, in that context.
2: Well, well, the basis for the Sycamore Tree Course is the story of Zacchaeus. And I have a lovely story from my group in June. And we were in the chapel, we were welcoming people on the first day. And this ginormous man walked in he must have been six foot seven tattooed from head to foot and I thought Ooh, he's a bit intimidating and God kindly put him in my group <laughs> <laughs> um, so I worked with him and two young, he was probably late thirties, worked with him and two other guys and he immediately engaged with the Zacchaeus story mm. and said goodness me that could could have been me mm-hmm. um, anyway his story unfolded he was such an encourager to the other young guys as mm-hmm. well and he did all his workbooks he did his homework and he wasn't prepared to, to make his um, we asked them to do a symbolic of act of restitution at the end of the course and although he was really confident he would only do it to the small group but that's fine I knew that God had been working and he had really engaged and he had recognised that he had really impacted on someone with a very violent crime. Um, And I was so taken by how he'd got involved. I asked him if he would be a mentor on a course in the future. And he was just thrilled. I don't think anybody had asked him to do anything like that before. Um, Anyway, I didn't see him all over the summer, and um, at harvest service I went down to the kitchen and somebody hailed me across the kitchen as I was collecting soup and it was this guy and I said so how have things been going and he said "Um, I've restored my relationship with my son I've written to my victim and apologised and they have written back they don't want to meet but that's enough he said, I've raised £1,100 on a rowing marathon, which he'd done in the gym. So I said, Well, that's great. You're going to be a brilliant signal tree mentor. Mm-hmm. And he said, And I've got my cat D, which means he'll go to an open prison. So he'd um, been a good prisoner. So sorry, Diane. <laughs> I won't be able to be a mentor. But it was just so lovely. I don't, we don't very often see them. Mm. Um, so, oh, and then he's a barista in the prison cafe, and he said, come and have a coffee with me, Diane, when I'm in next, when you're in
1: next. <laughs> Great. So. Thank you. Bridget. So probably just, just come a little closer to the mic, brother, if you would.
3: Picking first, if we could have that first slide now, thanks. Um, and I think this... There's a link between the prison and homeless, because a lot of people that you find in prison aren't just the six-foot-six tattooed guys, but they're the homeless who've had enough. Um, I think that's something I've really learnt about um, the link between what we see on the streets. And if after a few nights you've had enough being out there, cold, wet, being kicked and so on, um, actually throwing a brick in a window to get arrested is actually a soft option. So in terms of prison ministry, it's very interesting who's there and what their motivation is. And, and crime is nothing to do with it. It's often a roof. There are There's a very mixed mixed community. Um, but again, I think that, that's quite important because a lot of the homeless, to me, the people I've met, um, are ex-military, ex-services, Remembrance um, Day coming up in a week's time. Think about a lot of the people on the streets actually being ex-services. I've met people who are ex-public school who've had a bad turning their life from a good family. But the one word I have put is family, because I think we have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with each other here. and A lot of the people you find who are homeless have no family. Um, same with prison, I think the first time I went in and helped with welcome at a service, I realized very quickly not to say, what about your father or your mother? Because I don't have one, I don't know who that is a very different culture to to most of us here tonight, if not all of us here tonight. Um, And I think, I put a couple of photographs up. This was the first one. It's outside Oxford Station. It was midday, Tuesday of last week. And I was quite shocked. Um, Dan spoke to the morning services a couple of weeks ago about the difference between being able to perform um, and actually being quite hard-nosed about that versus having an emotional reaction. And this made me quite emotional to see this outside somewhere that's so familiar to me. And you know, particularly when you know that the life expectancy is about three years from when you go on the streets. It's not something you do out of choice. It's absolutely a last resort. I'll just show the next slide. And again, this was my reaction, walking down George Street um, 10, 12 days ago, midday. You know, I was shocked. I found this was... In my face, it's no longer a hidden problem, it's out there. We, I probably cycle more than I walk, but I had to walk on this day. Um, it's, I think this is a recent trend. I don't think if anyone had taken a, that vision, that view on George Street five years ago or ten years ago, you'd have seen anything like that. I'm from London, and I think back to 40, 50 years ago where I was brought up, there were very few visible signs of homelessness. I think it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. I'm sure some of you know all the statistics, but it's here, um, and it's something that we need to, to confront. Um, one of the areas that I'm working is um, given a good, um, notice, uh, good publicity in the notice sheet tonight, in the middle pages, um, the Oxford Winter Night Shelter. If you can um, just put the final slide up, please. Um, again, we couldn't do... Sh- slides from the prison and actually there's very little that's even available on homelessness because of protection of the individuals but these were taken um, from the diocesan website and they show what goes on in the night shelter again a lot of you go there but for those of you that don't um, there's ten beds that are put up they're just camp beds they're volunteers that put the beds up like you and I and um, they arrive at nine at night they're given tea cup of soup, cup of noodles or something. We can't give them a proper meal because actually um, health and safety and everything else kicks in, as you all know with other events here. But, but we give them warmth. And the main thing is giving them respect, being able to give them a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, cakes, and talk to them. And that's what they really like. And they create their own dynamics. I think family is a key word here. They create a family. Um, and probably one of the key things that I would say, you know, encouraging you all to get involved, there's the night shelter, and also in the second page of the newsletter, there's the gatehouse, which is another development from this. Um, you know, I find it very hard to be part of Oxford and walking around here without doing something for this. Um, and one story you asked, Paul, um, that we think of homeless mainly as men, but actually there's probably 15 20% women... Um, Two shelters are run in Oxford between the 1st of January and the 31st of March. Ten ten homeless people go to each. There's usually three or four women. And there was a couple, um, probably 21, 22 years old, uh, Tara and Dave. Not their real names, but that's, that's good enough at the moment. And the first night they came in in January, Tara was really sick. She just went and lay down. As soon as she got in... She lay down, she had some medicine, and her partner put her down. And then he came and had some some food with us. And then by about 10.30, 11, everyone settles down and the lights go out till till about 7 o'clock in the morning. And if you're there all night, all you're doing is reading books or, or catnapping. It's quite soft, actually, but you can just turn up and do a couple of hours, first of all, or a couple of hours in the morning preparing a breakfast. But the first week, Tara was really ill, about the third or fourth week. I only do about once every three weeks, so it's not a big tie on my time. She was still ill, but seemed a bit more lucid, but didn't really want to say a lot. Um, Third, towards the end of February, she was a little more lucid. She talked about her partner, David. And, you know, what a sad life. They were walking around town together between... 7.30 when they get moved out until nine in the evening when they could come back with two bags holding their worldly possessions. Um, Anyway the the format of that evening was that we sat around having coffee the local newspaper was open and I think there was a showing of um, uh, Dumbo the elephant and she said oh um, that's just coming out now isn't it I missed my childhood And and it's very hard to know what to do, but you just look as though you want to hear more. And she said, yes, I I miss my childhood. When I was about 11, my mother got me to strip naked and presented me to her boyfriends. And ever since then, and I won't say much more than this, I was led into a life of prostitution. And we looked up and she said, my mother was a drug addict and I've had problems as a result, but now I'm clean. My mother's died and Dave's looked after me for the last year and, and we're going to get married next year and one of the other churches that were actually involved in providing the shelter are going to host a wedding in May which I think is a wonderful sort of witness to the way in which the community has been built up and the restoring of her life and their life together. So I'd encourage you all to get involved in some way even if it's just smiling at someone or at least not Looking them in the eye, I think that's one of the things they'll always say um, when they come into the shelter, thank you for looking at us and talking to us. And they get their respect and dignity.
1: Mm. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you, Diane. I think
2: the love is is the key thing.
1: Yeah. Love expresses itself in action. Thank you so much. And if you want to hear more about that afterwards uh, and how you might be able to get involved, do talk to um, Richard uh, and Diane. We were thinking a little bit about this, in fact, if you're involved in house groups, uh, we've been working through the Tim Keller material, Gospel in Life, and it, which is in fact quite strong on uh, being uh, a blessing to our communities wherever it is that we find ourselves in. And, in fact, I think it's in week seven of the course we'll think a little bit more about how we might get involved or or, or how we are involved in our communities in whatever uh, shape that takes and what opportunities there are to uh, bless our communities. And as Richard said, there's a lot in the notice sheet uh, this week about things we might be able to volunteer um, in. There is, of course, a danger, and again, uh, we spoke about it in our own house group, that we can think that transforming communities means that we all need to be involved in a big uh, project. And it was great, that actually, Richard was making the point, because that's not necessarily true. Uh, smiling, engaging with people, uh, showing something of our Christian uh, values and characteristics in just the way that we relate to people that we bump into regularly in our communities, be that the school gate, be that at the checkout, be that uh, wherever it might be. There are uh, a million different uh, ways that we can... Um, Uh, express and model something of Christ and his kingdom to the people we meet uh, every day. I want to come back as we close just to Mark uh, chapter 2 and make the point that Jesus of course was moved hugely by compassion to come to our broken world Uh, and as those who are being renewed in his image we want to embody that compassion too Uh, and we want to be those who embody his movement uh, towards Communities that are suffering or struggling or burdened by injustice and oppression or caught in destructive um, cycles of social and personal behavior. But of course, our compassion needs to be as deep and as informed as Jesus's was. Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we remember as a church that is committed to transforming our communities that the deepest problem facing our communities is, of course, not that of difficult circumstances. As serious and as wrong as those are, the deepest problem is this sickness that Jesus spoke of and and that Jesus came to cure. Uh, This spiritual sickness of sin, this hardwired attitude that pushes God and others to one side while it exalts the self. It is this, of course, that fundamentally leads us to mistreat God and others and the earth. This is the fundamental root of our community's problems. We are often victims of others' sin, and we are often perpetrators of sin. Our community's greatest need is the life-giving cure of Jesus Christ. So we don't just want to improve living conditions, as good and as right as it is to do so. But we want to love people enough to introduce them to the source of life, that is Jesus Christ. We don't want it to be the case that people just benefit uh, uh, from us who are a part of God's kingdom. We want them to become a part of God's kingdom, not just to see what new life looks like, but to have that new life for themselves, not just to taste the fruit of God's kingdom, but to become a, a part of that kingdom so that they can bear fruit themselves. And as they do that, to start to bless and transform communities around them. It is striking, isn't it, that the first thing Levi does after starting to follow Jesus is to hold a dinner party and to invite his friends to meet Jesus who has changed his life. Bringing uh, his friends to Jesus, I think, was the most loving thing Levi could do and it's the most loving thing that we can do. As we close, it is interesting to me that sometimes people speak about social action as if it detracts from evangelism. Sometimes social action and evangelism are played off against each other. That should not of course be the case. Social action is simply an expression of the life and the way of living that we have received from Jesus. It is therefore of course a glimpse of Jesus and the new life and way of living that his gospel holds out. So our lives should reveal something of the compassion Christ has for our communities and the transforming power of the cure that he offers. Our actions are powerful adverts of the efficacy of Christ to transform and to renew lives with his own. As we get involved in people's lives... As we get involved in the sorrows and the struggles, as we seek to help, as we seek to model something different, something of God's kingdom, well, it seems to me opportunities naturally arise to speak of Christ and to invite people to find him for themselves. That is why Jesus can say, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our vision is to transform communities. It is a holistic vision. It is the commitment to learn the ways of God's kingdom and then to live them out in our communities. It is thereby to offer those around us a glimpse, a taste of a new way of life. And by the grace of God to introduce them to the source of this new life and this new way of living. Who is Jesus Christ. God give us the grace, so to do. Amen.